Amen. Thanks, Dan and team. Hey, uh, you guys can grab a seat, and uh, our kids, you can go ahead and slide out to Redemption Kids. You'll see our, um, our volunteers in the back waiting for you there. And hey, if you're new with us and you have kids, just follow, um, follow volunteers down uh, to the Redemption Kids space, and they'll get you all squared away and checked in. Well, as they're sliding out, go ahead and grab your Bibles or, or turn your Bible on. We're going to be finishing up in 1 John today. So if you've got one of the Bibles that we provide, that's on page 1,023. Um, 1,023. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. And today we're going to be looking, uh, the title of the sermon is New Year, New Knowledge. And so as we head into the new year, I don't know about you guys, but I always find this a very healthy time of year just to do some reflecting um, and, and in a lot of ways internal reflecting. So as many of you guys know, um, Lee and I, we traveled um, over the past few weeks and were able to go um, back to see my parents and, and family and, and her parents and family and, and really um, grateful for the time that we got to spend. One of the things I like to do on my Christmas break and usually as we travel is I peruse like the best of 2017 blogs. Um, um, some of the blogs that follow. Best of 2017, what, what are some of the top books that, that hit the list? And one that jumped out to me um, with some of the guys that I follow was a book called Reset by David Murray. And so I ordered it, picked it up, and this is a book that I worked through. You can see, I don't know if you can read the subtitle there, it says this, Living a Grace-Paced Life in a Burnout Culture. Anybody? Wanna, some of you pulling up Amazon right now and like um, ordering that thing. Uh, I, I don't get any commission on this today, I promise. But, um, I, I, you know, it piqued my interest just because um, I knew that there were just some, some rhythms that I needed to hit reset on, um, particularly related to my health. I, I haven't, I've shared with this with some of you guys, I haven't felt 100% since about Thanksgiving. And there's just been something lingering. Um, I finally got it to the doctor this past week, and I think it's a sinus infection. And so there, hopefully some medicines and stuff are, are going to help me out there. But, but also just some other of, of, my, of my rhythms. I knew that my exercise, my nutrition, some other things. And so there, there's a chapter, a couple chapters related to that. And so as I read through that, as I reflected, look, I know you guys are saying, I know, John, you're just like everybody else in the country right now that's at you know, the gym working out and New Year's resolutions. This is hopefully a new John, not like a new 60 days or 30 days. Um, but one of the things that I did spend time, in addition to reading this, is I, I spent some time reading through um, on nutrition, health, and exercise. Um, and some of you guys may enjoy that. I just, I needed to wrap my mind around before I hit reset. So here's the deal. None of this is going to be like shocking new for you. If you want to lose weight, it's, it's a simple truth. You've got to burn more calories than you actually take in. Like, like that like boils it down in a nutshell there. I know there's other implications like your metabolism and all of that, but, but in a nutshell, like you break that down. But, but as you start looking at it, um, it, you kind of, you look at the intake part, like what you eat, and then you look at the exercise part. And even as you start thinking about the intake part, I mean, there's a ton of questions like, what are the best kinds of foods for me? What, how much of a certain food should I eat? When should I eat? How, how many meals a day should I eat? Um, and it goes on and on. So, I mean, I've been doing some reading and thinking about that. And then related to the, the calorie burning exercise, how frequent should I exercise? What are the, the best? And then sleep. And, man, we could continue on. Here's my point. The bad news 
is that none of this knowledge is going to make me lose weight. <laughs> I still have to respond, um, but at least, you know, I can reject that knowledge and I can continue on in, in my ways, but without it, I don't stand a chance at succeeding. And so, so what it's done for me is just thinking rightly related to my physical health. And so here's what I'd like for us to do today. As we wrap up 1 John, we're going to see the word no, K-N-O-W, show up seven times in nine verses. And, and what, what he's saying, there's a certain knowledge that you just, there's some certainties that you've got to bank your life on. Like, like as it relates to my physical health, there's some knowledge, and then I act upon that knowledge and go and live related to how we are to think about who God is in Jesus Christ. There is a knowledge that impacts and transforms our lives. And so what if today maybe we just hit reset and thinking about where we stand in relation to who God is and what he's done with Christ and what does that walk look like in this new year? To, to go through a new year based on this knowledge and following hard after God. So let, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 1 John chapter 5. And hey, feel free to check in with me a week from now, 30 days from now, 60 days from now. I could use all the encouragement to respond um, to the health knowledge that I've been reading. As we turn to 1 John chapter 5, we're going to start in verse 13. And this is the last section here of this book that we've been working through. And so John starts out and he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. And then he continues, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Father, we just ask as we read your word that you would give us ears to hear. Spirit, would you give us minds to understand? Would you, would you help us to fill this in our hearts and our emotions? God, would you have your way in our lives today? God, would you bring continual renewal and transformation that we might be more like your son? Jesus Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. You guys probably caught this as we read through this, but that word know. I mean, look at verse 13. I write these things so that you believe, so that you may know. Verse 15, and if we 
know that he hears us. We know that we have the request. And it goes on and on. John is highlighting the certainties of the Christian life, the things that, that we can have complete assurance and confidence in. And so here's what we're going to do. As we work through the text, we're going to see four certainties, and then he ends with a command. There's really the only command that he gives us is verse 21. Little children, keep yourselves from out. So we're, we're going to look at these four certainties, and then we're going to wrap up with a few minutes spending on that last command. And so the first certainty that he gives us is found here in verse 13, and, and this is the certainty. Know that you have eternal life. We've highlighted this all along. This is the, the purpose statement verse for the whole letter that John has been writing. And, and let's just look at it again. I write these things. These things here, most likely, is not just referring to the immediate context. This is like a summary statement for everything that he has shared. All of this that I've been sharing with you, I write these things to you who believe. Notice the recipients. Paul, sorry, not Paul, John knew he was writing to believers, to those of you who believe. He was writing to the church, to those who believe in the name of the Son of God and his purpose, that you may know that you have eternal life. You guys know, as we've been studying throughout, there were false teachers that had crept into the church. Many of these false teachers, teachers were questioning and making them the real believers doubt whether they really possessed eternal life. And so what John's been doing from the very beginning is he's been, he's, he's been really given a test, hoping not with the hopes that they fail, but to give them encouragement. Hey, this is what it looks like for those who truly believe, who truly know God. And we could, I could just read through the whole letter, and we could just see those one after another that he is pointing out and encouraging them with. In fact, you know what? I want to highlight a few of those. Let's go back real quick. Go back to chapter one. Just flip back in your Bibles or scroll up in your phone. And just to jog our memory on some of these that he laid out before us. In light of this confidence that, that you might know that you have eternal life, he begins in chapter one, verse one. This is the message we've heard. God is light. In him there's no darkness. No, no darkness at all. And then he goes on to verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, those who say they follow God, you go walk in the light. Hey, look inward. Are you walking in the light? He continues on. Don't be deceived about sin. In verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us for all unrighteousness. Are we ones that are covering up our sin? Are we going to God, letting our sin be brought to the light and letting the forgiveness of Christ Going on down to chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, the wrath-exhausting sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Are you looking to Jesus? You see, in that summary statement at the end of 1 John, I'm writing these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Our confidence of eternal life rests not on what we've done, but on what Christ has done. And that, that is at the heart of the gospel. And that, that's, what, that's what John is highlighting all along. I mean, let me just hit pause here for a second. Why are we even talking about eternal life? I mean, 
We could go all the way back to the beginning of the story. God is the author of life. In Genesis 1 and 2, we were made to live with God, the people of God, in the place of God, with the presence of God for all of eternity. And yet it was our disobedience, Adam and Eve's disobedience now passed on down to us. That is the result of death. If you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. The very fact that we're talking about eternal life is the fact that sin has entered into the world. And yet God all along has been bringing about his plan to bring about eternal life. And that is what is found in Jesus Christ. So when we wrap up here in 1 John, he's wanting them to know with confidence, if your faith and trust is in the name of the Son of God, that is the only means by which you can have confidence of eternal life. But here's the deal. If it is, then the songs that we just sang, did you guys hear some of the words we just sang about? When fears assail, when dangers come, whom shall I fear? No guilt in life, no fear in death. I don't have to fear death because of the name of the Son of God has given me life. Look, let's go back here real quick. 1 John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have. That word have. I know it's hard to, in the English to look into that. But he's, that's not a future tense verb. It's not, you will one day have eternal life. It is a present, active, indicative. He's saying, you have. Those who believe, you have stepped into life. You are living because of your knowledge of Christ, and death is just a passing. You continue on in life. Eternal life isn't something like we're waiting to happen for. In, In John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life, knowing who? It's knowing Jesus. That is eternal life. It's this relationship that we have with him. Have you guys been following along in the Psalms this past, past week? I mean, for those of you guys who don't know, grab one of these on the way out. We're reading through 31 days in the Psalms um, in the month of January. And man, I, does, did anybody love Psalm 27? You guys with me know what it says? Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. When we look at what John is saying here and we stake our life on Jesus, he is a rock, he is a secure foundation, he is a stronghold, and whom shall you fear? No one. We live with a confidence that that we don't fear death, that we walk in life. And this is what John hopes that they would have. And so the, man, the first truth, this this first certainty, my hope is that is that you would see, you know what, my faith has been put in Jesus. And you know what, if you're here today, and you're like, you know what, I don't know where I'm going for eternity. The call to you is to believe in Jesus. He will forgive you of your sins. He's paid the penalty for your sins. And and there's a sure foundation that you can walk in confidence of eternal life. So we walk in confidence not because of how great we are. We walk in confidence because of how great Jesus is, what God has done for us in Christ. The second truth that John gives us here starts in verse 14. I'm on back in chapter 5 now. In verse 14 it says this, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, 
that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. Know that God hears and answers your prayers. Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe these verses right here? Do you really believe these? I mean, what, what does he say? We know that God hears us. And if he hears us, we know that whatever we ask, we have these requests. And he traces this logic back and he says, if then you ask anything according to his will, it's yours. And this isn't just an isolated occurrence. Let me go back and give you a few of the words of Jesus himself. And John Chapter 14, John chapter uh, 14, verses 13 and 14. I think I got on the screen there for you. Check this out. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Another one of the books that, that I reflected on over the past few weeks has been A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Anybody read? Anybody reflect on that? Some of you guys, a few of you. He says this, reflecting on Jesus' statements. He says, all of Jesus' teaching on prayer in the Gospels can be summarized with one word, ask. He says, all of his teaching, ask. He continues, his greatest concern is that our failure or reluctance to ask keeps us distant from God. But that is not the only reason he tells us to ask anything. God wants to give us good gifts. He then continues, deep down, we just don't believe God is as generous as he keeps saying he is. Guys, new year, new knowledge. I'm going to read these over again. And this is the confidence. John expected, not that they would read these words and walk away and say, Still, I don't know if I pray if God, this is the confidence. He, he wanted them to leave and confident that they had eternal life, they were trusting in Jesus, and then they're going and living a life of prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we know that he hears us and whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. What's the key to our confidence? It's in that phrase. If we ask, Anything according to his will. Let me give you a few other parallel verses. One, again, a couple from the words of Jesus. In John 15, verse 7. Abide in me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. What's the key? To ask whatever you wish? Abide in me, and my words abide in you. You see that? You abide in me, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Let's go to another one. Matthew 6, 9 and 10. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is how we taught them to pray. Go pray the will of God. And this is immensely practical. Like, man, if you're wrestling there, man, I hear this call to prayer. We want to be a praying church. And can you give me some practical advice on praying. Yes, pray the will of God. 
What does that mean? It simply means that we read the Bible and we pray it. I mean, go to Psalm 27, right? As you're reading through the Psalms, on the back of this prayer card, I mean, our Bible reading plan, we've got the seven areas of Bible reading. What's the last arrow? Anybody know it? What does this passage prompt me to pray to God? So you read the word. One thing I have asked of the Lord, Psalm 27, 4, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in your temple. Lord, would you help me to seek your face? One thing I've asked. God, there's a lot of ask I could make. I want to seek you. I want to gaze upon you. Psalm 34, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. God, would you help me today fight this temptation that I'm lacking immensely, but help me know that when I seek you, I like nothing good. You take that, you read it, and you pray it. Let me give you another one from 1 John chapter 3. We've already read it. And in, as we've been studying through 1 John, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Here's the deal. All of our prayers should be in alignment with the will of God. In other words, our goal is to tie as many requests as possible to God's word. And so if you were to read through a praying life, in the back of it, he's got a really practical section where he talks about prayer cards and writing them out. And he says this, you know, Write your wife's name, write your kid's name, write your friend, whatever, and then write a verse underneath it. And that verse is going to be a verse that's going to guide you for this season and how you pray for them. And the, and the challenge is, is you tie your praying to the will of God. He continues, um, Paul Miller in his book, and he says, there are two main dangers that we have when we think about praying. On the one side, it's the danger of not asking. And on the other side of the cliff, it's the danger of asking selfishly. This is the James 4.3. You have not because of what you ask, because you ask for wrong motives. You just want it for yourself. And so what's the solution to this? He says, here's the solution. For the not asking, we ask boldly. And for the asking selfishly, we surrender completely. For those of you that have spent some time with me, you've probably you've heard me repeat this often. Ask boldly, surrender completely. And we see this perfectly displayed in the prayer that Jesus prayed right before he headed to the cross. In, in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, listen to this. He says this, and he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. You are sovereign, you are, you are good, you are powerful. All things are possible. Remove this cup from me. Ask boldly. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Surrender completely. These are not contradictory and can go hand in hand. That we would walk and we would ask boldly. What do you need to ask God for this year? What is it in your life? What is the, it can be small, it can be big. What is it? May the year of 2018 not go down as 
is a year that says, I was available. God's saying, I'm available, that you rarely asked. I would tell you this, you can't ask, out-ask God. You can't. And so I love what John Stott says, reflecting on this passage. He says, prayer is not a convenient device for imposing our will upon God or for bending His will to ours. But the prescribed way of subordinating, subordinating our will to His. It is by prayer that we seek God's will, embrace it, and align ourselves with it. Every true prayer is a variation of the theme, your will be done. Let's do that. That's very practical. Let's hear this knowledge. Let's hear this challenge. And let's walk in confidence that we can ask in prayer to God. Now let me move on to verses 16 um, and 17 here. You guys probably hopefully didn't get distracted by these verses. By the way, these are a couple verses here that um, are very difficult in translation. You know you're in trouble. Not in trouble. I'm joking here with you. But when you, you know, um, my mentor, my PhD mentor, and you're reading his commentary, and says there's no scholarly consensus on what these verses mean. So uh, I just share that with you because I'm, I'm going to share humbly what I really sense that, that John is teaching on here. But also know that these are a couple passages, a couple verses um, that are challenges. So John then moves on. He's talking about prayer. And he says, if you see a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. Again, continuing to pray. We should pray for our brothers, pray for our sisters. Now, the question then becomes, what does he mean here by this phrase, a sin not leading to death? Now, here's how I go about interpreting passages that are seemingly difficult. And this is a great principle. Scripture interprets Scripture. Is this the Word of God? Is this the Word of God? Yes. Is God going to contradict Himself? No. So when, I, when, I, when I'm encountering a hard passage, knowing that, that this is the Word of God, God's not going to contradict Himself, then I can pursue faith seeking understanding. I don't approach it in a skeptical sense as if I'm trying to disprove God. I approach it with faith saying, God, would you give me eyes of faith to hear, to receive, and to understand your word. Now, what do we know about sin and death? Well, the reason we're talking about death and eternal life in the first place is because of sin. If you eat of the tree, you will die. Anybody, we can go back to Romans. The wages of sin is death. But the good news already in 1 John verse chapter 1, verse 9 that we've already read is this. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins, right? And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So is John in his own letter contradicting himself? And I would say, no, he's not doing that. So as you, as you, if you were to pull up a commentary and look at what scholars would suggest, there's three, three um, different explanations for what this means. One is that it's a specific deadly sin. A second um, is that it's similar to blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If you were to go and read through the words of Christ, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 32, he talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit as being a sin that would not be forgiven. And then a third 
um, is that it's a total rejection of the gospel. So here's what I think's going on. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin. You see here what John has even come back in, as if you were to think I'm being soft, like all wrongdoing is sin. It's not like he's saying there's different categories, but there is sin that does not lead to death. As I, as I reflect on this, I don't think that John is talking about a particular, like one heinous, really ugly act of sin. I mean, we could see all examples of scripture of, of like, I mean, look at Paul, Saul, like did some pretty, like he's killing believers in the early church. And we could talk about some heinous acts. Like I would say that there is like, in terms of that, there is no sin that is too big for God to forgive or for Jesus to pay the penalty for. What he's talking about here, I would say probably lines up close to what Jesus is talking about with blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, there what was going on is they clearly saw Jesus and were explaining his work as a work of Satan. And so what would be a sin that would lead to death? John may be kind of given a summary statement of a lot of the things that he's talked about in his letter here. Um, the ESV Study Bible actually summarizes it this way. I've got this for you up on the screen. It says, the sin that leads to death is probably sin that is unrepented of and of the kind or nature that John has warned about through the letter. Resolute rejection of the true doctrine about Christ, chronic disobedience to God's commandments, persistent lack of love for fellow believers, all indications of a lack of saving faith which will not be forgiven. So, I can't spend all afternoon here. But I think what John's getting at is this persistent, hardening, rejecting of the clear presentations and truths of Christ would be a sin that there's, there's, there's not even repentance. There's, there, there's a lack of repentance in coming to God for forgiveness. Maybe let's grab a coffee and talk a little bit more about that. Um, let's, let me challenge you with this. It would be tempting in our sermon today to kind of just get hung up on what is John talking about and miss the point of this. Ask. You have confidence. Ask. He hears. And we should be praying boldly. The third truth that I want to share with you um, starts in verse 18, and it's this. Know that. As a child of God, you have victory over sin and Satan. Look at verse 18 there. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. John now transitions from this thought on prayer to having right attitudes towards sin, toward the world, and towards Satan. And so check this out. Here's the main truth. We see it in 18 and in 19. 
we know everyone who's been born of God. And then in 19, we know that we are from God. Here's the truth. If you have placed saving faith in Jesus Christ, you are relying on him, his life, his death, his resurrection, you have been born of God. You have been born again. You are a new creation and you belong to God. You are his. Those are good words. Those are good things to hear and to embrace. And then as a result of that, as a result of being born of God, as of being from God, this is what he says. No believer will fall into long-term habitual sinning. And this has been one of the main points that John has been driving home. Look back to chapter 3. Go back to chapter 3 with me. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 6 of 1 John. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, we spent a good bit of time reflecting on this, and the question that was asked was, what does the pattern of your life reveal? And here's what John has been getting at. If you have truly been born again, born again if you are truly of God, we ought to reflect God. If you're saying that I, I'm in the light, I'm going to reflect in some ways what, what my father looked. If I'm born of God, I ought to reflect him in some way. And so as believers, John is walking this tension carefully. He's not saying you are perfect. Go back and read chapter 1. He says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourselves and the truth is not in you. So he's walking this balance from saying you're perfect and on the other hand of saying it's okay that we're continuing to sin. It's this, we're walking in the boundary. As a believer, we should never be happy with sin. We ought to hate it. We ought to fight it. We ought to repent of it. And we ought to be fighting against it with all of God's energy working in us, all of God's spirit working in us. That's pray God's will. How do you go on and not sin no more? Pray the will of God and ask, 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 and ask. And so one of the challenges that, we've, that John has put before us is that if you look at the pattern of your life and all you see is just a consistent pattern of increasing sin, then you ought to question, do you really know God? Because when you come to know God, he puts his spirit in us, the Holy Spirit in us, and his spirit changes us, and we are not the same. We ought to all at least be able to look back and see a trajectory of our life that is increasingly looking more and more like Jesus. And you know what? Oftentimes we need community in this. So I'll just say, if this is an area that you're struggling with, who are the people that know you best? Bring them alongside. You're saying, I've just really been wrestling. I can't get over. Just, man, as we've been studying First John, looking at is there a discernible fruit of progressing, looking more like Jesus? Do you see that in my life? And if you come and, you know, you don't see that, then, then maybe the solution is to confess repenting your sin and place faith in Jesus and for God's spirit to come and do a fresh work in your life. So as a result of being born of God, 
we don't continue in long-term habitual sinning. And second, Satan can't harm or touch us. He may persecute us, he may tempt us, he may try to accuse us, but his influence and power is limited by the protecting power of God. I hear resonating John chapter 10. You guys remember that? John chapter 10, beginning in in verses 28, I give them eternal life, they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has them Um, has given them to me is greater than all, and no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. As you are in Christ, you can walk, and you can walk in confidence that Satan cannot touch you or harm you. On the other hand, the world, look here, verse it says in verse 19, we know that we are from God, and yet the whole world lies in the power of God of the evil one. John consistent in what he's done throughout his letter. You are either in in Christ or you're in the world. There's this there's this no neutrality when it comes to Jesus. And so I would just, I, maybe you're here today, maybe you've been with us for a while and you've just been exploring who Jesus is. My plea to you today would be to fall on your knees, to confess your sin and to trust in Jesus and be born again, come to new life, and and have the Spirit of God come in you and work these powerful, confident truths so that you can walk without fear. The fourth truth I want to share with you is this. It begins in verse 20. Know that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Verse 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, And we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. You see that word true show up three times there? So that we may know him who is true. He is the true God. And we are in him who is true. John's point, as he's wrapping up his book, You can imagine the false teachers that were saying things contrary to what Jesus had done. And he's saying, be confident in this. Jesus is who he says he was. I go back to chapter 1 of 1 John. You remember how he started his letter? That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He starts with Jesus and he ends and he's challenging them with confidence. We know that he is the true God and eternal life. Let's not skim over this. The very end, he is the true God and eternal life. Explicit reference to Jesus as God. You guys see that? This is one of about 12 explicit, clear affirmations of Jesus as God in the New Testament. You ought, to, you ought to circle that one, underline that one. He is the true God and eternal life. And, and think about this. Really, Jesus is the reason why we can have confidence in everything else we've said today. Why do you have confidence of eternal life? Because Jesus is the true God and eternal life. How can you have confidence 
when you ask because Jesus is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you? Hebrews says we have boldness to approach the throne with confidence because of what Jesus has done. We ask and have confidence because of Jesus. We know that Satan can't touch us or harm us because I'm in the hand of Christ and he's in his Father's hands. I know that sin won't continue to reign in my life because sin and the curse of sin has been broken because of what Jesus has done on the cross and raised from the dead. And I know he's coming back. And so know that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And then we get to the fifth encouragement, which is the the final command. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Much different than how Paul ends most of his letters. No grace and peace and greetings to so-and-so. You can tell this final command, though, was, was given out of love, right? That little children, my, it, this, is a, this is a term um, that he's been using throughout, of, throughout his book, Dear Children. And the command is this, keep or guard yourself from idols. Seems odd, but in light of what we just read in verse 20, it's perfect. Because here's the deal. Anything that takes the place of God ought to be crushed. Anything that takes the place of Jesus, the true God, and eternal life, the way to life, ought to be crushed. And so in light of who Jesus is, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. As we wrap up today, let me just ask you a few questions. Sometimes it's hard to discern, you know, there, there's no physical idol sitting up in my house, so what are the idols in my life? Calvin, um, reflecting on Romans, says that our hearts are idol-producing factories. In other words, we will make idols out of anything and everything. So here's the deal. An idol is anything. It can be a bad thing or a good thing that becomes a God thing. An idol is is anything, a good thing or a bad thing, that becomes a God thing. When a good thing becomes a God thing, that's a bad thing. And so we can, how do you know that? The way you know that is asking heart-penetrating questions like, what keeps you awake at night? What do you fear? What do you worry about? Where are your hopes? Like when, when things get quiet, and you put the iPhone or your phone away and like, where do, what does your mind go to? What, what consumes your thinking? Maybe this, what is the God substitute in your life? As we're reading through the Psalms, it's abundantly clear who's supposed to be the one satisfying us. It's God and God alone. He is the fountain of living water. Come to his table and feast, eat and drink. No good thing does he withhold from those who seek him. He is supposed to be the one who satisfies. Psalm 1611, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What what are the things that you're turning to because God's not enough? John would say, crush it. Keep yourself. Guard yourself. May your heart. We sang a song a second ago before I got up. I can't remember which one it was. I think it was one of 
the add-on course in Christ alone. And it's a basically response was, I give you my all. That's at the heart of this. As worshipers of God, I don't just give him my Sundays. I give him my year. So here's the point. In this new year, would you stake your life on that which you know is true? Namely, that life is found in the true God, Jesus Christ. As I'm stepping foot in this new year, I've hit reset on a number of the rhythms in my life related to the physical health. I've responded to some of this knowledge that I've been reading about. How will you respond? Know that you have eternal life. Know that he hears you. My prayer is that we just out-ask God in such a way that he pours out his favor. Just... God, what is your will for my life? What is your will for Redemption Hill Church? What is your will for Medford? And let's just ask and ask together and let's keep asking. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We need your grace to respond. God, would you give us certainty of these things we've read about? God, I I pray that that we would leave today with, with an increasing confidence that Jesus is the true God and eternal life. And there's no one that we should fear. There's no circumstance we should fear. God, would you walk us with an increased confidence that when we pray your will, your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as, as it is in heaven, God, that, that you would work and you would renew and you would, you would transform our lives. God, I pray we would be able to look back at the end of 2018 and see just an increasing measure of Christ-likeness being formed, your will being formed. God, would you take our dreams and our will and through prayer, prayer would you align it with yours? Would our wills be crushed and your will remain? God, work in us for your fame and glory. We pray in Christ's name, amen.